Drive for five with the Bannerman, and we are at episode five. The Thomas Zizka episode. That's, we were going to call it that uh, to be determined, but this is Cotto. With me is Vardy. How are you tonight, Vardy? I am golden, friend. How are you? I'm doing great. So it's your birthday tomorrow. Son of a bitch. You put it out there for the <laughs> I, world to I know. I put it out. It's Vardy's birthday tomorrow. Uh, this episode will not be out by tomorrow, but August 15th. No. Vardy's turning, you get, yep, yeah, it's the big 25 for him. God, I wish I was 25. Those are the days. My knees didn't hurt. My back didn't hurt. What better birthday gift for Vardy than to talk about? Than, than off-season hockey talk. Right, I mean, and really. specifically talk about Brandon Prust mm. on mm. a PTO to the Kings. He's probably not going to make the team. Why? Because, because sandpaper, grit, go to the corners, board battles, put a shoulder into someone, heart and soul. Can we just send him to the AHL? Can we stop pretending like he's actually going to make the big roster? Like, I don't think he's going to make the big roster. I don't think it's even. I mean, I guess it's possible. Did you hear? Did you see? Like, he gave a brief interview. I, I forgot who was with who it was with, and talked to the Kings. The Kings told him something to the effect of, "We're making a lot of changes, and you have a legitimate shot at making this roster if you really put on a show at camp." So, like, what are we expecting him to just come out and all of a sudden be a playmaker? I don't understand. It's just so pointless. Uh, you know, you make one move that supposedly speaks to the fact that you're trying to transition the team to something else, and then you go and you bring in guys like Brandon Prust on a – I can't even say his name – Brandon Prust on a PTO. For what particular reason? I don't understand. The guy didn't even play in the league last year. Even looking at the Kings' bottom six, I don't even see where the hell he would fit. Um, he's just kind of more of the same – just the same old stuff we've had. So for that, for the Kings to say, if you really put on a showing, I don't really know what that means for Brandon Prust. Is he gonna is he gonna injure a prospect? Yeah. What exactly does a Brandon Prust showing consist of? Exactly, I have no idea. I, I don't know. I don't see him being any different than Jordan Nolan, Kyle Clifford, Andy Andrioff like I, I don't see him being considerably better in any capacity than those guys that you already have so I don't even know why you bring a guy like this in for PTO no it's it has to be a, an AHL move I guess and even then I mean okay anyway I don't want to waste too much time on this can yeah. sign him to a PTO cool there's just not a lot going on guys yeah that's, I'd be shocked when Brandon pressed this news there's not a lot going on <laughs> and I'd be shocked if he made the Kings absolutely completely shocked so i'm gonna go ahead and say he's gonna be in the ahl next year if that that's that we did it we got through the tough part vardy <laughs> the brandon <laughs> Brust's pto signing um so i think we talked about this but did you see that the nhl networks for the summer they're doing all these lists right so like earlier this week they did the top 20 wingers for example none of which were kings no well i mean <laughs> the only person who would even have a shot there was probably Tafoli and when number 20 is Taylor Hall, I think it's safe to say that there aren't going to be many kings on that list. <laughs> but, yeah, so a week ago or so, they did, top, they did the top 10 goalies, and Jonathan Quick was number 6 on that list. And Hockey Twitter kind of, I don't want to say they freaked out, but it, they didn't react kindly to his placement <laughs> on that list. And 
I thought we would bring that up and kind of talk about if we agree, disagree, or, you know, kind of where we would put them. Um, so, number six, Jonathan Quick, do you think that's a reach? Do you think that's about right? I think he definitely has the capability to be, you know, a, a top five goalie in the league. I think it's hard to judge him off of last year's performance, one being that he was out for the majority of the year, and then two being that when he comes back, the team was pretty much in a tailspin already. And so right. if you're judging him based on his most recent body of work, I don't think that's that's fair necessarily to his ability um, because we've seen him play top-notch hockey so many times, and this is even going after the cup years. I mean, he's he single-handedly stolen, stolen the team several games. So I, I think he definitely has the capability. I think what holds him back would be is his health the same as it is and is the team in front of him playing well. I will say this for quick. I don't think that he's on the level of a guy like like Price maybe where he's just just running the show. You know what I mean? Like you take care. No. You saw what happened in Montreal where you take Carey Price out of that. I mean, they're not, not at all like the same team and love it or not. Uh, we were able to plug in Budai last year and kind of keep the ship don't afloat at least a little. I don't love it either. But you know, my point is that we could, we could keep the ship afloat with Peter Budai in net. I, I think if you put Peter Budai in Montreal, it, it's a catastrophe of epic proportions. I think you need a guy like Carey Price, who probably is the best goalie in the league and is getting certainly paid like it. And he was ranked number one on that list, if I remember correctly. So I think that that makes sense. I just don't think he's at that level. Um, he may have been a few years back, but I, I certainly think that... I think number six is appropriate, honestly. I do too. I don't think he it was too high. Because you look at... Okay, so Devin Dubnik is number five. And... I would see personally to me, and you could call it bias, whatever. I, I take quick over Devin Dubnik. I think, I think Dubnik has had a few good seasons, but he has not put together a full season A to Z where he's been just one of the top goalies in the league. He goes up, he goes down. He has his good moments. He has his bad moments. So I don't really, I don't really see with Dubnik anything that warrants him being in the top five. Now, on the flip side of that, when you see that Martin Jones is number nine, you kind of go like, ooh, I don't know. You know, would I take Martin Jones over quick right now, given their age and all that? I I would have to really think about it. I don't think it's... I think I think I would take Martin Jones over Devin Dubnik, too. So, yeah, you could probably flip all the top 10 goalies on this list around and just to go through the list real quick just so you guys know what we're talking about it's price one holtby two bobrovsky three murray four dubnik five quick six talbot seven lundquist eight jones nine and Rene ten and i think that's reasonable i mean you look at the people who are below quick on that list right okay jones i think jones I agree with you. Maybe Jones should be higher up on that list. I would, I would probably go quick five Jones six Dubnik seven in my own mind. And some of that is obviously having seen more of Martin Jones and Jonathan Quick play than Devin Dubnik. But at the same time, I don't base my my ranking of goaltenders purely on their regular season. Right. And I've I've seen both those guys play in the playoffs and put it together and do a good job. Dubnik did not do well in the playoffs. And I think a goalie is great if he can get you to the playoffs, but he, but if he collapses in the playoffs and you can't win a, a championship with that with that goaltender, then what is the point? Right. 
otherwise, I think I agree with it. I mean, Lundqvist still, you know, despite his age is playing well, I keep waiting for the other foot to drop and or the other shoe to drop, I should say. And for him to just, you know, collapse and then the Rangers are completely lost. <laughs> his foot might him. drop if he plays anymore. His foot might drop, actually. <laughs> I'll stick with my original statement. Yeah, That's fine. Yeah. Um, Talbot certainly had a great season with Edmonton, played out of his mind. One season does not make you a, a franchise goaltender. And I think if he keeps facing the volume of shots with the Swiss cheese paper thin defense that the Oilers are putting in front of him night after night, he's not going to be not going to be putting up numbers like that very long. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, where where would you rank him? You know, like if you're going to be upset yeah. about it, what do you you think he's not a top ten goaltender in the league? I think that's some people. I think that's, yeah, I think that's a, that's the argument some people made. Some people say Crawford should be in the top ten and and push quick out or whatever, push Rene out. There is a case to be made for a few goalies. Like to me, I'm shocked that Corey Schneider isn't on the list. Tuka Rask. Tuka Rask isn't on the, you know what I mean? So it's very much debatable. I, I don't know if I would be prepared to put Cam Talbot, for example, in the top 10 based. I would have put Cam Talbot over Corey Crawford or Corey Schneider. I mean, I wouldn't, I think Corey Schneider is yeah. a superior goaltender. Because Corey Schneider's done it for longer, just his numbers are some of the best in the NHL. And maybe Rene even drops out, but they just right. went, went to the cup final, so I understand that recency bias. Yeah, that's a little and bit that's, of recency. That's what yeah. it is with, with Talbot, too. So, But yeah, it, all in all, John the Quick, I'd take him over several goaltenders on this list. I'd even take him over a few goalies off this list. Wh- whatever you want to argue, I think we both can comfortably say he's a top 10 goalie until we see otherwise. Because last season... He came in. He looked great. He looked really good last season. In the he, 17 games he played, I thought he didn't miss a beat. I thought the Kings played better as a team. Obviously, they didn't get the result they wanted. But if we had him the whole season, things might be different. I mean, he played better than Ben Bishop, who, for one reason or another, obviously, with, with Daryl Sutter coaching, didn't get nearly as much as many starts as you would have thought they would have, given that they actually went out and they targeted him in the in the trade deadline for whatever reasons they gave. But... I thought he was a much more stable presence in the net than Ben Bishop was. And people look sometimes at what the Kings have been like over the last two to three seasons. And they think that because the team itself isn't successful, that's somehow an indication that the goaltender wasn't successful. And I don't think that that's the case at all. I think that there's a lot more issues at play as to why the Kings have not been successful. And one of the only issues that I have not had has been Jonathan Quick's play. That has been a steady presence. Uh, Now, will he be able to play out his contract? Is he going to be like Luongo and still be putting up great numbers and being a decent goaltender into his mid to late 30s? I don't know. His style is a little more uh, athletic, shall we say, than Luongo. (laughs) Yeah. That being said... Shit, I wouldn't have thought Dominic Hasek would be playing until he was 45 years old. And, <laughs> or however old <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he still had that slinky spine, which it's yeah. funny. The, the comparison I hear a lot is Hasek and Quick just because of their absurd kind of freelance style of goaltending, if you will. I mean, drastically different, though. Drastically, drastically different in drastically that different. I think Hasek was way out in the freelance world, whereas right. Quick... Uh, Yes, he relies on his reflexes and uh, athletic ability and explosiveness, but within some kind of structure where Hasek was like, 
I don't even know what the hell he was doing. He was playing chess with shooters and like throwing something at him that they never seen before. And you remember when he tackled Gabrick on that breakaway when yeah. he was in Minnesota? He didn't so much tackle him as he just almost decapitated he just baseball him. Baseball slid. Yeah, into he baseball him. slid, and Gabrick did a full somersault, and his face this is like. 22-year-old Garen Gabrick, too, who's like the fastest yeah. guy in the ice coming full steam ahead. It's probably the beginning of his IR troubles. Thanks, Dominator. Yeah. Anyway, so moving on. Um, Matt Green is now a scout for the Kings in, in a shocking move that no one saw coming. <laughs> Matt Green is now a member of the Kings' the, the developmental staff. Cool. Good guy. We always liked him. Good for yeah, him. Yeah, I think... I think that's that's a great move, you know, because he was he was such a big part of the, like the culture change leading into us winning the cups, and you know you hope that he could still be an effective player, but obviously age catches up with all of us, and and again he was having a string of injuries, especially with his style of play. Um, it's tough to stay healthy. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to complain about him still being part of the Kings organization going forward. Um, in terms of what his scouting ability exactly is, I'm not, I'm not too keen on that. But uh, my guess would be defensive defenseman <laughs> would be his uh, his uh, wheelhouse. <laughs> would be his wheelhouse. I don't think he's going to go out there and find us the next big scoring winger. But uh, crazier things have happened, I suppose. I think I would say he's probably going to be a North American scout looking for a certain element, a certain type of player. I don't know if that's going to be his mold of a player, but. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing I'll always give Matt Green is he's a character guy. I don't know how much character you can see as a scout. I don't know how much character you can pick out watching a game. Um, obviously, you could go ask, you could get more involved, but I, I think he he's a he would be a good judge of character. So and the Kings are really high on that. Most teams are. So in that respect, I think he'll be an asset. Regardless of what he does, I'm glad he's still with the Kings and... Best of luck to him moving on in his new career. So a few weeks ago, we did a new segment called Banner Moments, Vardy, and we're going to do another one today. Uh, uh, yeah, surprise. I didn't tell you about that, did I? Shocker. Remember, son. Remember. So we're a few days removed from August 9th, and August 9th, as all Kings fans should know, by now a day that will live in infamy especially for the oilers 1988 wayne gretzky gets traded to the los angeles kings and i use the word traded loosely because it was a sale my friends <laughs> they sold him to the kings was was he any good he was all right and we're gonna break down the trade right now it was wayne gretzky marty mcsorley mike krushelnetsky the oilers Received Jimmy Carson, who at the time was a stud, by the way. Martin Jelena, who would go on to be a journeyman NHLer. Three first-round picks. That would be one in 1989, one in 1991, and one in 1993. And $15 million going to Edmonton to Peter Pocklington. It's still probably considered the most shocking trade in the history of sports. and And you could see why. I don't think... You could point to any sport and show me the best player in the game or the most dominant player in the game being traded in his prime like this. And a trade, I'm not talking about a signing, I'm not talking about a free agency thing. I'm talking about a straight out trade when the player was at the peak of his talents. Yeah, I don't know if there was anything quite to this uh, 
to this level. And I'm not sure you'll ever see anything quite to this level anymore going forward, just because trades don't quite happen right. like this. And I think the other thing, the other aspect of it was just there was it wasn't just the, the trade and its effect on the game of hockey and the two teams involved. I think it's just the the cultural and societal uh, factors involved in the trade as well. Gretzky had just uh, gotten married to um, his wife, who was uh, a supermodel and an actress, obviously centered out of Los Angeles. Um, the Oilers had, had won a cup in 88, and Gretzky was actually on his honeymoon when he found out about you know how seriously the Oilers were shopping him and that LA was was going to be possibly or probably where he was going to end up going and then you just look at the actual ramifications in in Canada and I mean there's been plenty of documentaries and stuff done about this ESPN had a, had a 30 for 30 on it that was really great I don't know if you see quite that level of you know storyline anymore in trades like like you did for this there's a lot of interesting <clears throat> moving parts to this trade. Obviously, you bring up a good point with the cultural differences and really the polarizing hockey markets, the polarizing environments. To for you know, for Edmonton, the Oilers are life. You know, it's everything to that city of Edmonton, and, and to have that team there for so many years, the way they were built, and to, for him to be traded to Los Angeles of all places is just really really nuts if you think about it because <clears throat> he goes from the best team in the league arguably to the team that finished uh i think second to last you know right there that's a huge difference the forum rarely was sold out probably was sold out when the oilers came to town ironically <laughs> his first game in la was the first ever home opener sellout in franchise history for the kings that's opening night and that's Again, that's pretty crazy if you think about it. Um, Marcel Dion played there, you know, Dave Taylor, Rogi Vachon. And not just that, you, you consider the road teams that probably came in from home, home openers. And then we the Kings still couldn't sell out the forum on opening night. His first right. game, it sold out. Another crazy thing about the trade is that the deal was in place. It was, gonna, it was Gretzky had himself asked the Oilers to include McSorley and Krushelneski. Peter Pocklington, he just wanted, he really wanted that money. So that was his his first, uh, pro that was his top priority. When he told Glenn's, Glenn Sather about the plans to trade him, Slats first, he tried to stop the deal. He, you know, did all this thing, you can't do it. But when he realized that he couldn't stop the trade anymore, he actually demanded that Luke Robitaille right. be thrown into the trade to go right. back to Edmonton. And even though the deal was in place, in principle, anyway, the Kings ended up refusing and instead offering Jimmy Carson, which, thank God for that. Good work on Bruce McNall's part, because that is... Luke would have hurt, man. Even though a few years later, the Kings would stupidly trade him anyway. The return for the best player in the history of hockey, and they knew, by the way, at 28, it was pretty obvious he was the greatest player of all time already. Right. The return for him is putrid, <laughs> if you think about... <laughs> What came back? Jimmy Carson was the price piece for the Oilers other than the cash. Carson was coming off a season where he scored 55 goals, 52 assists, 107 points. In his first season with the Oilers, he goes on to score 49 and 50, 100 points. And it looks like, okay, good trade. We got a young piece. He was a teenager when they traded him. Or he was right. just turned 20, something crazy. Yeah, something really young. Yeah, so he gets traded again to Detroit in 89-90. 
And he tops out his best season at 34 goals and 35 assists, 69 points. So he is one of these very curious cases of what happened to this guy. You know, he was it the trade? Was it the fact that the pressure of being traded for Wayne Gretzky got to him or had an adverse effect on the rest of his career? Because he was playing lights out hockey for the first three seasons of his career, even one season in Edmonton. So it wasn't like the trade happened and then he fell off a cliff. He had a really good season. And then just just like that, he goes turns into a 20-goal scorer. Uh, his career numbers end up being 275 goals, 286 assists, 561 points in 626 games. Decent numbers again, but nothing that comes close to the promise, promise he showed as a teenager. Right, and I don't know how much injuries and things like that kind of kind of crept up in this because if you just look at the number of games he was playing 89 90 he played 45 games 90 91 he played 64 games 92 93 played 52 games not um i'm sorry he played 52 games with detroit in 34 so he played yeah he played a full season with that that one then 93 94 he only had 25 games yeah i mean you, you do wonder what happens to a guy like this who otherwise was was said to be a much much better player than he um, than he actually ended up being, and whether you're right, I mean, getting traded for the best player in the game, whether that weighs on you and the expectations of playing in somewhere like Edmonton, certainly much higher than it is to play in in um, in Los Angeles. <laughs> I can't believe we spent the last two minutes talking about Jimmy Carson more than Wayne Gretzky in this trade, but <laughs> really, <laughs> I mean, you know what it is. There's so much that's been said about Wayne Gretzky, really. Any hockey podcast you find, if you go through their first 10 episodes, there's probably a 10-minute portion of one of those episodes that somehow they're talking about Wayne Gretzky doing something. And for us, you know, I I believe he's the reason why you and I played hockey, why we started in hockey. He was the reason why all these rinks opened up in L.A. You know, our generation of guys, I kind of jokingly call them the Gretzky kids. And we were, you know, we... The reason we played, the reason we wanted to play, the reason, you know, we love the Kings, it was because of him. It was because of that trade. So it's always going to be significant for me, that date, that trade and all that. And that's why we brought it up, especially with it being just a few days ago. We figured it would be a great time to bring back banner moments and to talk about what was the greatest trade in Kings history. I don't think anyone's going to argue that one. All right, so lately, Vardy, it's been a lot of lists going around. You know, it's August. People people want to make lists, from what I noticed. <laughs> NHL Network wants to make lists. They want to tell you who the top 20 wingers are, the top 10 goalies are. You know, people on the boards, on Twitter, they want to tell you who the top five centers are, things like that. So we decided we're going to make our own damn list. <laughs> One that the NHL Network would never dare make. By the way, just before we get into this, where would you rank Kopitar in terms? Because you know this is coming. This is the next list for sure what, from the NHL centers? Network as the, as the centers. And what are they doing? The top Ooh, 20 centers? They're probably going to do the top 20 centers. Okay, so McDavid, Crosby end up being 1-2 yes. in some capacity. And I'm sure that'll be the that'll be the most dramatic argument as to who's number one and who's number two. And then you get into Malkin. Probably Malkin's three. probably a lock for three. Um, yeah, Austin well, Matthews. Austin Matthews is probably going to be in the top. He's going to be top ten now. 
I think right? after that season, they're going to put him in the top 10. Obviously, John Tavares is going to be there. Right. He's going to be a top five guy, probably. Um, it's tough, man, because Getzlaff just came off a monster playoffs. Yeah. So you'd have to think he's going to be in the top 10. You have to think Nicholas Backstrom's a top 10 center. Oh, definitely. You think you have to think uh, Tyler Sagan is a top 10 center. Yeah. And Bergeron has won the Selkie how many years in a row now? Right. And it uh, depends on what you're looking at. If you're looking at just offensive output, maybe not. But like in terms of just his full-on application to the game, Bergeron definitely gets there. I think they might it's even hard. put Stamkos up there. Stamkos. If, if, it's not, if it's not for the injury history. I mean, it, you know, when he was playing, he's a monster. I wouldn't even um, be surprised if someone puts Eichel in there. Just because. It's 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 not out of the realm of possibility. So you start mentioning these names, and all of a sudden, <laughs> where, where exactly does Kopitar fall into that list of, it's of top, top twenty? To I mean, me, he's a top twenty center. He has a, to be. There's but I no just way don't know, he's like, not. A, I think he's a top fifteen center, locked. I don't think there's any way. I mean, to knock him out of the top fifteen, you have to start talking about guys like, I don't know, Matt Duchesne and Ryan O'Reilly. Are these guys better than Kopitar? Uh, no, they're not. And especially when you consider the three zone player that he is and how much he does. Let's say he's not scoring, which we saw a lot of last season. He's still, (laughs) he's not, he's never hurting your team. He's at the end of the day, no matter what he does, he is helping your team win. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say Logan Couture is a better center than Kopitar. I think that's, you're getting a little ridiculous now. Yeah. They, they counted Pavelski in the, in the winger slot. So I don't know. Which he probably is. Um, yeah, so, like, Joe Thornton is an interesting one, for example. Is he now right. out of that upper echelon of center? Is he, you know, and not just because he, he didn't even have a bad year. It's just he's getting up there in age, you know. is it's just old. Yeah. Mark, <laughs> That's all it is. Or a guy like Mark Shifley, who, you know, had a really good season. Is he now, you right. know, in the top 15, top 10 conversation? Ryan Johansson. I mean, exactly. Ryan Johansson, that's a good name too. Kuznetsov, you know, he's had a couple of good seasons. It's not easy. To me, it's much easier to say that Quick is a top 10 goalie than it is to say Kopitar is a top 10 center. And there's also more centers and they're all goaltenders. So that that obviously makes things more complicated. But I I think two years ago, coming off the second cup, I think Kopitar... I think Gretzky He's called him the third best player in the world at that time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know Gretzky is so nice to everyone. Just just throwing out those accolades yeah, willy-nilly. And then the next year, he's like, I think Jonathan Taves might be the best player in the NHL. Just whoever wins the cup, Wayne's there to just be like, you might be the best. <laughs> so anyway, going off these lists, it's a good conversation though, Vardy. And, and just to throw this out there, guys, we will be doing a season preview show Uh we're not sure if it's going to be next episode or the one after, but it is coming, and we might have a lot of discussions about teams and players and and what we kind of predict for the season coming up and where some of these players might actually land in the scoring race and things like that. So, this I hopefully hopefully that conversation kind of whet your appetite just a little bit mm-hmm. for what's coming. But we did make our own list for this show, and we kind of went off the board in terms of I don't think there's a list like this out there where you could read up on it and compare our list to someone else's. I think these are going to be the only two lists right. you find on this subject. And the subject is the top 10 players currently playing that we wish were still members of the LA Kings. 
And that means anywhere in the world. They don't have to just be playing in the NHL. That That's means right. any player who's currently Active actively players. playing somewhere who used to be a king, either as a prospect or as an actual roster player, who you wish was still on the Kings team. Right. That doesn't necessarily mean that you want to nix in whatever Correct. capacity, like you got someone else. Like if you traded that player and you got someone else in return, we're not going back on that trade. We're just saying it'd be nice to have this guy like we had him at that time. Yeah, this is purely fantasy, you know, GMing. If we can grab that player back for no at no cost, whatever, just press a button and they're back on the roster. These are the top 10 players that we uh, separately, by the way, would take. And that's another key component is that we made our lists and we never shared it with one another. So we're kind of going to do it now. I think we're going to start from the bottom. We're going to start from 10 and move up and kind of compare and see where our players are. Vardis, you ready for this? I'm actually kind of excited. I am. I am. Because I think the top of the list are going to be very similar, but the bottoms, the bottoms are fun. (laughs) All right, Vardy, so let's start this off with number 10. I'm going to let you start. I'm a good host. Such a gentleman. Who's your Such number a gentleman, 10? This guy. Number 10. Okay, number 10, Brian Boyle. That's a good one. First things first, if you kind of look at – this is the fun part. If you actually try and sit there and you're playing along at home and you're trying to think about 10 active players somewhere in the world right, right now – there's actually not that many, yeah. <laughs> quite honestly. And so that's when you get to the point where guys like Brian Boyle somehow make this list. And the way I think about it is that one of the things that I have not liked about the Kings the last several seasons is that our third and fourth line is full of a bunch of guys who I keep waiting for them to contribute. I keep waiting for them to show up and just take the bull by the horns and be just valuable components of the team like they were, you know, a couple of seasons back. Like right now, I feel like between Nolan, Clifford, Andreoff, those guys are completely interchangeable and you don't lose a thing. Brian Boyle, granted he was drafted as a first-round pick in a very notorious draft for the Kings when we had three mm-hmm. first-round picks, has made himself into a very, very steady third probably better as a fourth but third line center on a lot of teams and has been very good for them in playoff runs he's been great in the faceoff circle he's been great in penalty killing and he's become a very intricate component of a lot of good teams now you might look at him and see he's been on a multiple you know he's been on multiple teams and he had he was on toronto last year he's in new jersey this upcoming year i think he's one of those guys who's going to never have trouble finding work um, despite the fact that he's a third liner because he's actually really, really good at what he does. And every once in a while, he chips in enough offense where you can you can use him in that capacity. So Brian Boyle makes it in at number 10 I like on that list. Pick. I like that pick, man. I'll tell you a funny Brian Boyle story one day on there as part of our story time. Anyway, I have at number 10, this might surprise some people, but I have Jack Johnson. Okay. 10 on my I would take him back list. And I will tell you why, my friend. You look at the Kings' defense right now, yes, Jack Johnson, we kind of compared Muzzin to him. We kind of talked about how he's an average NHL defenseman. But that kind of, when we started doing this list, I kind of started thinking about if we had Jack Johnson on the bottom pairing of this team, I would take that. I would take that real quick. and that Absolutely. Re- then that kind of, you know solidifies the defense to me and everyone's becomes mobile everyone becomes a good puck mover uh everyone can skate 
And that's, like, I look at Pittsburgh's defense. Those guys are not special players. All they did and did well was move their feet and move the puck. And that's two things Jack Johnson's always been able to do. And if the NHL is trending towards that, if decors are now kind of be going to be modeled after that, then Jack Johnson on your third pair, I think, is a hell of an option. And not only that, it kind of now might make Muzzin even more expendable, which is something we talked about. Yeah, and, and again, to kind of harken back to that Muzzin thing, I don't want it misinterpreted that like that I don't appreciate Jake Muzzin for what he is. It's just that we're overplaying him in a position that he's not meant to play. Similar, It's a similar thing with Jack Johnson. It's like, if I could have Muzzin and not expect him to play above second-pairing minutes and in a second-pairing role with someone else as a steady defenseman... Totally fine with that. Right, right. Same thing with Johnson. It's it's not just about what the player. It's about where you expect them to play. Right. You know, I don't expect Kyle Clifford to be my first line left wing. I don't expect Dwight King to be my first line left wing, despite what coaches <laughs> might have been trying to do with him. It's all about where that player slots into your team. Right. And another thing about this list, we're also not considering salary. So, right. Don't get don't tweet us and be like, you would take him back for four million five. No, we don't. We're just talking about complete fantasy. We take this player. If we could. Anyway, so right. mine is Jack Johnson at 10. Vardy, number 9. Number 9. This one might be a little controversial for a lot of people because we only had a very short sample size. But I would happily take back Chris Versteeg. Mm-hmm. I think that he was he was poorly utilized on the team for when we had him. And for what I actually saw of him actually playing on this team... I think he would have been a much, much better player if we knew what the hell to do with him. So if you look at what he did after the Kings just basically decided that nah, it didn't quite work out, they let him walk, he he was in a situation where he was considering going to Sweden because he just wasn't getting any contract offers. He goes to Calgary. He has a pretty decent season. He's playing like as a second-line winger, second power play option, does well for them. You know, it, I, I just truly think that we used him poorly for the short period of time that we had him, which, again, we've we've hammered this home so many times that our coaching staff just did not know how to utilize certain players in the right way right. and just kept insisting on doing things the same thing over and over and over again. I think he's a good example of a player that should have been a lot better on this team and could have been a really good option for us going forward. I mean, if you're at the point, right, where you're dumpster diving and you're picking up guys like Mike Camilleri who are being bought out by their other teams and you're hoping that they're going to spark your offense, I, I don't understand how yeah. how a guy like Chris Versteeg wouldn't be a valuable addition uh, to this team. Yeah, so I guess part of the rules are I have to tell you now that I had Chris Versteeg at number seven. I'm sorry. In that case, I should tell you that I had Jack Johnson on my list as well. Okay. But he's just a little higher up. That's okay. All. Well, we'll reveal that later. But yes, I also had Chris Versteeg. And when we get to seven, I'll reiterate that. But yeah, man, I mean, you look at the wings, you know, you look at the one thing that really stands out to me is, is the problems we've had with the guys on Kopitar's wings. And Justin Williams has really, if you break it down, him and Brown have been the only players who have had any kind of consistent offensive production with Kopitar. And, well, that's not true. Milan Lucic did too, and very high up, by the way. And his name might come up, I don't know. But Versteeg actually had good numbers with Kopitar. So 
you know, you talk about wings, you talk about the guys that might help him get to a certain place, and that's why I have him a little higher than you do. But, yeah, I agree with everything you said. He's, he was a good player in the short time he was with the Kings. I don't see any reason why the Kings wouldn't re-sign him when they were very well aware that he was looking for basically a show-me contract. He was this. He was like a day or two away from leaving the country and going to play in Switzerland or Sweden or whatever the hell it was. And, yeah, the Flames basically gave him nothing and he put up a good season for them. So I totally agree with Versteeg. And that brings me you have it? to number my nine. number nine. Number nine, I have Jerome McGinley. Interesting. Recent, yes. But my reasoning to have Jerome back is because of the whole situation that went down in Calgary last season. The drama with Kachuk. And yes, maybe it's blown out of proportion a bit. Maybe it's, you know, archaic in the way I think about it. But the lack of response from the Kings... The lack of team quote-unquote toughness, and it hurts me to say that because I don't really, I think that's kind of leaving the game. But Jerome McGinley dropping the gloves in Calgary against Eric England and really handling himself well. We've talked so much over the years about the Kings have lost his leadership. The Kings have lost that glue they used to have in the locker room. And Jerome, to me, in what seemed to be a few games showed that he is that kind of guy. He's that type of player that the Kings right now are looking for and lacking. It's unfortunate that he's on the wrong side of 40 now. Um, But you know what? For one more season, and we've talked about this, we wouldn't mind Jerome McGinley for one more season, most likely. And we talk about Yager, Vanek, Doan, and Doan's a little like this too. But of of those guys, if I'm really being honest and not being like, oh, cool, I want a Yager jersey... If I had to pick within that group, I'd probably pick Jerome because he's just he just seems like a good person, the kind of guy that young players can learn from. And I know some of that sounds cliche, but number nine for me is Jerome McGinley, and I didn't really think twice about that one. That's that's actually a good pick. I didn't put him on my list, but I don't disagree with it at all. I, I, I think we you and I have had this discussion before. I mean, if we're at the point now where we're again we're throwing out PTOs to Brandon Prust and Lokdianov, like, really? Yeah. Are you telling me that Aginla's going to ask for more than than league minimum for a guy his age, which I think is like a 1.2, something like that, for like a year to just come in and be a guy on the power play? I mean, he scored goals. He scored, he, what did he score, six goals in the short period of time he was with us? Yeah. Including a couple in the power play? I mean, it, it's all about utilizing these players in the right format and having a guy like that in the locker room and also on the power play, I'm not asking you to put him out there and kill penalties. I'm not asking you to put him out there for 20 minutes. But you can't tell me that Jerome McGinley for 13, 14 minutes a night on your third line or something like that is a terrible option. No, and that's really where I would place him. And that's why I have him on the list as a third, fourth liner. So right. that's my number nine. But it's your turn with big number eight. So number eight, kind of piggybacking off of what the Kings have lost and what the Kings could use. An old familiar face. Good old Stick Williams. Justin Williams is number eight on my list. I think the guy has proven without a shadow of a doubt that he can still contribute. I think some of the concern back a few years back when the Kings didn't want to necessarily resign him was that he was an older guy. They weren't really sure if he was going to be able to put up the same numbers despite the fact that he had had some amazing chemistry with Kopitar. Might be one of the few people, like you mentioned, who had that type of chemistry. Um 
I think he was one of those pieces that the locker room and the roster misses a lot. And if I could have brought him back, again, salary cap and all that consideration notwithstanding, I I don't see how it would have been a bad thing. I mean, we've been waiting four years for him to stop producing and stop being a good player. Sometimes you just have to accept the fact that these guys are actually going to be good players into their mid-30s. He's a good pick, and I might have him somewhere. And when we get to that number, I might tell you where he is. But right now, <laughs> okay. for number eight, I have Braden Shen in the eighth spot. And the reason I selected Braden Shen is because I slotted him as a third-line center. So okay. in my opinion, okay. when I when I pick Braden Shen, I look at him at 3C behind Kopitar and Carter. Now, he's young. He's... Great on the power play. He's a special teams kind of guy. And we all we talk about Dowd and we talk about all these guys that we we kind of fancy in that 3C role. To me, he's a way better option than anything we have with all due respect to Nick Dowd, with all due respect to if you want to put Lewis there, if you want to put Nick Shore there. I would take him in a heartbeat. And down the middle, all of a sudden, the Kings look really, really good. Um, obviously, he was part of what might be one of the other greatest trades in Kings history, in my opinion, uh, to get a player that pretty much put us over the top for two Stanley Cups. But yeah, man, to me, Braden Shen at his age, again, we're not really talking about cap hit, but I would take him at number eight to be our third line center. And that would make me very happy. Yeah. He made my rankings too, slightly higher up for very, very similar reasons. Right. Um, I think you're, you're, you're quite right. I mean, to put him on the power play as a second unit option, to have him as a third line center, even occasionally playing second line and Carter then gets to play wing or something like that. He gives you a lot of versatility, I think, going forward. Um, and again, if you're not, I think he's he's one of those guys that if you're not expecting the world of him, if you're expecting him to top out as a second line center, it's great. And that's that's what he, you know, that's what he uh, was in Philly. And um, he's in Dallas now. I can't quite remember. St. Louis. St. Louis. That's right. That's probably what he's going to be in St. Louis as well. So, um, yeah, no, he made my list as well. He was uh, he was a little higher up. Right. We'll get to that. So who's your number seven? Uh, My number seven was actually Jack Johnson. All right. Um, You have him higher than 10. I I had him at 10. You have him at seven. I did have him at seven. I did have him at seven, only kind of looking at what the Kings problems are right now. I think that if you can, you can get yourself a few, you know, um, number three, number four, or five, six defensemen that you really can count on and can count on them kind of moving the puck a bit more. I think that opens up a lot of options. And so I was just kind of doing that more so from a need perspective yes. in my mind that I thought that I would I would put him a little bit higher up. Yeah. But otherwise, I agree with the assessment. Yeah, and I have Verstig at seven. You mentioned Verstig at. You have him at ten. Oh, no, you had him at nine. nine. So, you know, it looks like Johnson and Verstig for us were kind of a a flip-flop. But, yeah, it's again, I guess it goes to show that the Kings have several needs because they they do need a scoring (laughs) winger, and that's why I kind of place Verstig higher. But, yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. A few placements here and there. I would take both those guys, Johnson and Verstig. So we can move on to number six. Um, number six, my number six was actually your number eight. I had Braden Shen All right. at number six. I just, for for very same reasons, I think that he just, age, uh, being a center wing, power play ability, 
the uh, strength down the middle and the versatility that that he would be able to bring back to the roster be nice to have him or something equivalent to that right. on the team your number six i don't know i i thought about this one and i went with andre Sekera at number ah. six um it was look it goes back to the jack johnson thing except i don't think there's any real doubt who the better player is between the two Sekera was with us a very short time he uh, we got him at the deadline, and in that short time, I really, really liked how he gelled with our defense. He was a le- he's a left-handed shot. He's a little older now, obviously, but again, if I look at that defense and I think about putting him on like a second pairing, you know, or making him Dowdy's partner, that especially really got grabbed my attention. Is if he could play on the left side of Dowdy how much better our defense would be top to bottom because then you could drop Forbert down to the second pair. You could put Ledoux on the third pair with Martinez and suddenly you're looking at that defense, you're like, wow, that's really different defense right. than what we have right now. So for those reasons, for just his smooth game, I always liked his game. He's such a smart player. He's silky. Yeah, Andre Sekera is my number six. He's my number five. So we're we're okay we're on that discussion. Very yeah, it's it's the same thing. I, my only issue is, is always the injuries. I mean, he's just he's such a fragile guy. Yeah. He has been through his career, and he's only getting older. Um, but again, I mean, we're discussing in fantasy terms. I'm I'm enjoying. I'm 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 thinking of it as as uh, you know the guy's going to play. Not eighty-two. I'll give him seventy-five games. If you yeah. play seventy-five games, I think that is that is a fantastic contribution to your defense, which is why. Why the Kings were trying to resign him as much as they were. And again, we just didn't have the cap flexibility to make something like that happen. My number five is actually, might be surprising, but I have Martin Jones at number five. Interesting. And Okay. So, again, I know the goalie we have right now. I know how good he is. But I also know that he played 17 games last season. I also know that he's now in his 30s and... Sometimes I get nervous about it. So when I really think about it, who I would who would I take back? Yeah, I would take Martin Jones back. And again, this is a fantasy thing. So in my fantasy world, I would have Jones and Quick and they would split the games right down the middle. And the Kings would have the best goaltending in the NHL. So for those reasons, and obviously I've always liked his game. He's he reminds me of Carey Price. And that's saying a lot, I know. I know that's really heavy, but He's Carey Price light, a poor man's Carey Price to me. The way he moves, the way he plays, his calmness and all that. I've always liked him. I was very upset when we lost him. I understood why. But yeah, Martin Jones is number five for me. He's higher up on my list, actually. He's he's Ooh, uh, I'll, way I'll, up there. Yeah, it's it's the same thing. In fact, I I I still wrestle with the idea in my head that um, when we traded Jones and. I think it was abundantly clear what he was going to be, that he was going to be a starter in this league at that point. And, um, you know, no disrespect to Quick. Obviously, we've we've had a lot of discussion about what a great uh, goaltender he is and, and what he can still be for the Kings. But at the time when they traded Jones, I couldn't fight the, the, the thought in my head of why aren't we trading Quick instead? Why aren't we right. moving Quick? And this, again, goes back to my... We discussed this back a few episodes ago about Muzzin. It's about trading your assets at their highest value just before they start losing value. 
because then you're just kind of stuck with someone that you can't move. You're stuck with a contract that you can't move, especially in that type of a situation where you have someone who's equally capable, ready to go and is cheaper and is younger. You just, you have to, you can't, you can't marry these players no matter what they win for you, no matter what they do. It's, you're not going to be around forever. They're not going to be around forever. And it has to constantly be about keeping the, the team good. And at that time, I fully think we could have traded Jonathan Quick and gotten a haul back for him because we had a, we had him under contract. We could he was coming off of two cups. We would have gotten plenty back for Quick to make that yep. type of a trade way, way more, you know, manageable, shall we say, or or enticing. Um, and we would have had Jones. San Jose seems pretty happy with him right now. He's good. So he's not bad. He's a good goalie. <laughs> Did you know he made the top 10 for the NHL Network? In terms oh, of really? Goaltenders? But he wasn't yeah. higher than Quick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so now I guess we're at number four. So my number four is actually Lucic. Mm. I, had, I had Lucic at number four, and I'm assuming he's probably higher up on your list. Not by much. But it, this is kind of where it got tough for me because it was like <laughs> these were all guys that I would take back in a heartbeat. And, man, the Kings did everything to try and keep him around because he was obviously a very different type of player than Justin Williams. Um, but he had such success, I felt like, with Kopitar. And he brought that that grit kind of game, that bulldozer kind of game to the to the team and I thought it opened up a lot of room for Kopitar, quite honestly. I think he was just so capable of opening up room for everyone else on the ice for him that I was noticing Kopi doing a lot more during that season with Lucic around than I've seen him do since because he wasn't keyed on as much because Lucic was in the front of the net taking up two guys' attention at any given point in time, and he could score. He was rough and tumble. He made some great passing plays as well. He's just an all-around good player now, would I want him for eight years or whatever right, <laughs> or seven years or whatever Edmonton signed him for? I think that's getting a little touchy, so I don't blame him for going there. But, man, if there was any way we could have had him for, I'm going to say, four years, like if we could have had him for a four-year contract somehow, right? that would have been so nice Money. and solved so many problems going forward. It would. I even I accept his occasional idiocy, <laughs> yeah. you know, his occasional murderous intent. It's okay. <laughs> he makes up for it. We we accept you, Milan. Yes. Please don't kill us. Yeah. I actually had Justin Williams at number four, and I know that's much higher than you had him. But it's a lot of love. The way so the way I look at it is, I I look at the core. I look at how many years the Kings have to contend. And it's not that many. It's not like I'm worried about what's going to happen six years down the road. I'm worried about the next few seasons. And to me, for the next few seasons, I take Justin Williams back on Kopitar's wing. Probably the best in terms of production over time winger that Kopi's played with um, in his career. Maybe Brown, but you know, we all know recently that hasn't there hasn't been there. And really, again, we the conversation is the leadership the Kings lost, that swagger the Kings lost, the confidence in themselves, the ability to go into any rink and know, yeah, we're probably going to beat you tonight. And if we don't beat you, you know, you're going to have to earn it. Some of that has gone away uh, since, I think most notably, his departure, Williams' departure. So, And obviously, you touched on a lot of his qualities as well before. So, yeah, I have Williams at number four. 
and I stick by that, sir. See what I did there? Of course you did. Because his nickname is Stick. Yeah. I get ya. Um, okay. Well, my number three was Jones, so maybe you get to tell us who your number three well, is. Well, my number three is Lucic. Uh, okay. And again, I'm going to kind of talk about what you talked about. I believe I read this the other day that his, actually that Kopitar's points per 60 minutes with any player, that with any winger, his was the highest with Lucic at 3.01. So every 60 minutes that Kopitar played with Lucic, he averaged three points a game. And that, I think that's the highest of anyone that he's played with in his career. Which is just mind-boggling. Obviously, it's a smaller sample size. Obviously, with Brown and Williams, he had the opportunity to have off nights, to have seasons where they weren't, you know, it wasn't happening. With Lucic, it wasn't even a full season because Lucic was flip-flopping back and forth with Carter and Kopitar. But again, that's I, I look at Kopitar, ten million dollars. He's our guy. We got to take care of him first, and I can't think of a better way to take care of him than to have that Which... monster ogre. On his wing, which which is exactly which is exactly the thing. I mean, you look at last season; he had no one. It was just him. I mean, yeah. you know, when Dwight King is on your left wing, no one's worried about Dwight King. Okay, they're double teaming <laughs> Kopitar. They're preventing his entry because Dwight King isn't going to do anything in that type of a situation. Yeah, and and that's the problem. And I think I think that's kind of what separates Kopi from maybe those top 10 centers in the league is that you could put anyone on Crosby's wing or McDavid's wing and they're still going to produce. They're still going to be game breakers. Same thing with Malkin. Kobe, for whatever reason, whether it's a drive thing, whether it's a playing style, whether it's a defensive responsibility aspect to his game, he, he has flashes of being a game breaker, but it's not a night in night out kind of thing where he, you know, he can run a line. You could put anyone with him and he can do it. He needs a little bit of help. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That doesn't make him a less capable or less, you know, less valuable player to the team. We would be atrocious without him. We would just be absolutely lost without him for, you know, if it's eight years he plays for, fantastic. But I think you just got to get him a little bit of help. And we've been saying this for I don't know how long. And we have so many examples of it, of good wingers, not great wingers necessarily, but good wingers playing on his wing with him, just redefining his game, making the team better. And yet somehow we still keep coming back to this thing of like, well, we'll just try Brown again on, on Kobe's right. wing and we'll see how that goes. And it's like, come on, man. Why, why, do we keep, why do we keep forcing this issue? You know, there's a word you use with Lucic. I can't remember. We were talking and you said the guy has such a presence. And that always like st- stuck with me when you told me that because he really does. Like you know when he's on the ice. And Absolutely. and not even as a fan, you know the opposition knows when he's on the ice. He is you know, Jamie Foxx used to have a joke where there was a pit bull in a nightclub and like <laughs> everyone was like, Whose pit bull is that? No one missed the pit bull. Everyone knows the pit bull's in the room. <laughs> And that's how that's what he reminds me of. And not you know, I don't mean to compare him to like a vicious animal or something, but you are always aware. Everyone is always aware where he is, what he's doing, who he's looking at. And that's to me that's a game changing kinda characteristic in a player and, and also one that you just don't find anymore at his age and it just it doesn't exist anymore. That type of player who 
is intimidating and can score and can power his way to offense. So yeah, to me, yeah. number three, it was it was an easy decision. You know who's another player though, who before you say maybe that, not <laughs> before oh. you say that, I'm pretty sure we have the same same guys here. Okay, what, who do you got? Tell me, number two. It was Simmons. Wayne Simmons is my number two. Yeah, and he's also my oh, number two. Um, yeah, man, it's and this is good because I guess we could talk about him at the same time. Just uh, praise Wayne at the was, same time. He was almost number one for me. It was not easy. Um, again, his age, his his game. He's a power play machine. All of a sudden, he he hits, he scores. He he. I don't think he quite has that presence of a Lucic, but he's not. <laughs> he's not far behind. And yeah, man, I would love, love, love to have this guy back on the team. I would love to have him on Kopitar's wing more than any other forward. Um, I would have Wayne Simmons on the right side of Kopitar. So I have a feeling you agree with me. He's just, I, I think back again to, I have to remind myself, you know, like, we won two cups. <laughs> we yeah, won two cups exactly. because we because we moved this guy. Because otherwise, it just it hurts so bad to keep seeing. And I have family in Philly, and just hearing how much they love <laughs> this guy there. Yeah, it just it hurts me so bad because I think we knew he was going to be good. I think we knew even then he was going to be good. And I, I distinctly remember that when we traded him uh, as part of the package to get Richards. The, the thinking at that time was that, well, we got Kyle Clifford in the wings. And Kyle Clifford is just going to come along, and he's he's the same guy. I mean, he made the world junior roster. He'd had an okay rookie season. He kind of had that same kind of swag to his game that you thought maybe he was going to be that physical power winger kind of game. And whereas Wayne Simmons kept going with that and just became an absolute stud, Kyle just settled in at this kind of like, I'm a fourth line kind of dude. Sometimes I fight, sometimes I don't. Now I don't know what I do well, situation. Man. But I'll tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't score twenty plus goals a season like clockwork. He doesn't Wayne Simmons. He does not Wayne Simmons no. in any capacity. He does not. And he does not. It hurts so much. I, I sincerely think at that time when we made that trade, we would have been able to swap in Clifford for Simmons. And we probably would have gotten away for with it, maybe because he had that much. He had that much hype coming in. He, he was had a second round pick. Yeah. He was. He played on the World Junior roster. He had a decent rookie season. I think if we if we put in that like as, as a possibility, it would have happened. Kind of like even. how Jimmy Carson was put in for Luke Robitaille. <laughs> <laughs> going back. Hey man, you win some, you lose some. I guess that's what. It is. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it comes down to. And again, we won two cups, but I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's tough, dude. And you all like you we love Mike Richards for what he did when he was here. Um but it still hurts knowing that oh God it hurts just talking about it that we could have still had Wayne Simmons on the wing somewhere. Um, it just opens up so many wounds. <laughs> it just miss him so much. Yeah, and it's, number one's gonna be a wound too because i'm pretty sure given everything uh, we've just soon. said we know exactly <laughs> we both have the same number one it's the only player we haven't mentioned drumroll Hardy, uh, you want to handle this one uh fine slava voinov slava voinov number one for me too 
Fucking Slava. <laughs> Slava. That has been a refrain for me and Gato now for about three seasons where if anything goes wrong with this team, doesn't matter what it is, it could be a terrible game where they lose 5-0. It's just f***ing Slava. <laughs> yep. Because if he was on this damn team, and if we hadn't lost him in the way that we lost him, and again, this is looking completely beyond the human element and the absolutely ridiculous, criminal, just inhumane things that he did, stupidity that he exercised to land him back in Russia and to to start this whole affair in the first place, he would be locked in as the king's number two center. I mean, number two defenseman, and just completely redefined what we can and can't do with our roster yep. and our and our cap space and everything. I mean, we lost we lost him for nothing. For absolutely nothing, we lost a guy who could ostensibly be a number one defenseman on a lot of teams in this league. And we lost him for nothing at the age of like 24, 25, something yep. like that. Yep. And yeah, man, his contract was sweet too. It was, there is no silver lining. <laughs> like there is just nothing, There's just none. absolutely nothing you could say. Well, th- because of that, we got this. No, just nothing but bad here for losing him and he's number one for me too because he is to me irreplaceable you cannot find another guy homegrown that young on that deal right-handed shot power two cups power play one two cups like a puck mover a puck distributor poise of a 30 year old like he was really good guys is what we're trying to say and and we lost him for nothing and he is number one on the list of guys we wish we could push a button and have back and undo all that dumb crap he did but we can't because there's all this discussion now that like oh well maybe he can still come back maybe we haven't talked about that actually and i don't i think we've purposefully kind of not talked about it because i just i I don't see how it's possible i don't see any scenario where the kings are like sure yeah, let's do that because all the stuff that's happened the last few years has completely been forgotten. And now we could, you know, let's swing for the fences with this guy. I just don't see it, especially Rob Blake. He seems like a, I don't know, he just doesn't seem like the type of guy to to do that. I mean, you know, you can always bring the example of, of NFL players, you know, Adrian Peterson being being the primary one you know, having all sorts of domestic violence issues and stuff. But then again, you have guys like Ray Rice who've been completely blackballed and are not being signed, rightfully so. I just don't think that as a team for the sport that they play and for the kind of community um, relationship and things like that, and especially now that you're going through this transition in the front office and you're trying to reshape the image of the team, I don't think bringing a guy like that who brings along a hornet's nest of bad publicity with him is worth the trade-off for what you get on the ice. It's just not worth it. It's, it's not worth it in so many ways. And it hurts. Despite the, <laughs> it hurts. It does. There, there's no, there's no way around it. There's no way around it. It's, it's the absolute worst case scenario. And it's part of like that huge decline that the Kings had for three years where it was just like, man, can we just stop having people arrested, please? Can this just happen for multiple reasons? It was just it was just such a the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And this might have been 
the lowest of lows on so many reasons. And the king, the kings still have not recovered. The yep. kings have not replaced him in any capacity. No matter how much you can try and tell me that Jake Muzzin is a number two defenseman, he is no Slava Voinov. Nope. And he I will, will argue never that always. He's, there's a significant difference in the play of those two. Voinov, like I said, he had that calm demeanor, that poise of a veteran. At I think the first training camp or the prospect camp I ever saw him in, I was like, that guy is going to be a hell of a player because he would come around the net and he was just so calm, looking at his options, distributing the puck, whereas all these rookies are just trying too hard. They're overcompensating, trying to prove something. He either looked like he didn't like he could care less what people were thinking about him or who was watching him or he just was so comfortable and so confident in his abilities that he he just had that poise just be like yeah I'm just gonna walk around the net look make a pass and that's it and he was like 19 at that time so anyway if we keep this up i might cry so <laughs> man this list got real sad <laughs> yes I, was, I wasn't counting on that <laughs> yeah we were you know it started with like jerome mcginley yeah <laughs> We, and then it got real sad around number two and number one. I, I was honestly, I, I pretty much knew our one and two were going to be the, those two players. I just didn't know what order, even though I knew I had a good feeling that Voinov was going to be number one for both of us. There's just no other way it could have been. Yeah. So that was it, guys. That was our our list of players we we wish were still in a Kings uniform, active players worldwide. And... Yeah, I don't I don't know if there are any other lists like this you could find and compare, but like last time we are more than welcome or you are more than welcome to share your list with us. Let us know what your top 10 players are that you wish were still on the team. Mind you, these are active players and it doesn't mean you have to undo any trades, but you know, tweet us, you could go on our website in the contact section, email us or right there in the box, whatever you want, reach us and Let's talk about it. It's a good discussion. It's fun. We had, I had a good time doing it, so I'm, I think you did too, Vardy. I had a good time, yeah. <laughs> you had a good time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of our interaction, last episode we kind of threw out there that it was our story time episode, and we said, hey, anyone have a good story? Share it with us, and we'll share it on air. And we got a couple, but friend of the show... <laughs> franchise mike <laughs> shout out to franchise mike for giving us a couple stories and we picked one and it's pretty funny man i gotta say uh, <laughs> it's it's it, it, it's different it's interesting um so we're gonna share it right now um i'm gonna pull up the message he sent me um and it has to do with bernie nichols vardy did i tell you this one <laughs> I'd love to hear it again. So Franchise Mike tells us that after high school, he was just starting college, he started a Facebook page. Uh, the Facebook page was kind of a uh, gathering of people who believed and pushed for Bernie Nichols's jersey being retired for the King. So it was a group like, let's, let's retire Bernie's jersey. It'll be great. He deserves it. Which, by the way, I... It's a good argument, by the way, for Bernie Nichols <laughs> to have his jersey retired. That's a different conversation. But uh, Bernie was his dad's, uh, Mike's dad's favorite player. The group starts uh, gaining some traction, and Bernie's nephew uh, finds out about the group. 
and he joins the group and says, how cool is this? My uncle, this and that. Anyway, so the group starts growing and Bernie's nephew tells Mike that um, Bernie wants to get in touch <laughs> with Mike <laughs> because he he's so, I don't know if it's honored, touched, whatever, but Bernie gets a message message from like, or Mike gets a message from Bernie's like secretary, whatever, or something, saying that, hey, Bernie's going to be in touch with you soon. Give me your phone number. So, <laughs> so he goes from creating the Facebook page to Bernie Nichols is going to call you to discuss this. Which, when he when I started reading this message, I was like, "That's weird. Why would he? What's he going to say? Like, keep it going, man. We, you know, like, I think we're going to get something going here." But anyway, <laughs> so Bernie calls Mike. It really happens. Bernie Nichols calls Mike, and he says. He's, what did he say he says uh they started chatting and bernie thanked him for the group and everything so actually what bernie ends up telling him or asking him is to kind of use the facebook page as a platform or just to help him out to just throw his name out there as a businessman promoting his businesses and whatnot nothing crazy and mike is basically heartbroken <laughs> at this point and <laughs> heartbroken because Bern, he actually told Bernie that hey, you know this this page was it's it's to get your name in the rafters, to get your jersey in the rafters, and and Bernie just you know ever so subtly and softly told him that I don't think it's ever gonna happen, Mike. <laughs> so that's the kind of that's the kind of conclusion a man comes to after many a nights <laughs> wondering this question himself. You know, he's you thought know, about this you know, yeah <laughs> i've thought about this once or twice but like, i don't think it's gonna happen yeah but <laughs> mike says in the message i was crushed but i appreciated his honesty <laughs> that's so that, that's a moment with a legend man that's a great story i loved it that's a great story and actually there's he, he ended story. it with a funny line he said uh to this day, my friends tell me, you screwed it up. You could have spent a weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> Rimshot. Rimshot, indeed. <laughs> that was cool, though. I mean, we, yeah. we can say we met some players here. In the, uh, a Kings player has not called me. <laughs> or called me. <laughs> to tell, I'll tell you that much. And be like, you know, hey, man. <laughs> like, how are you? And I <laughs> I mean, we if that ever about, happens, you'll be the first to know, but as of yet, right? I haven't even gotten an email. <laughs> right. So thank you. Thank you, Franchise Mike, for sharing that story. Um, it was a good one, man. I really, it is a unique, unique story. So we appreciate you sharing that with us. Well, another episode in the books, Vardy. That was episode five, guys. We hope you enjoyed it. You barely talked about Thomas Zishka. I'm, I'm really ashamed. It's funny that you could start with something right at the top of the show and you just forget there's just so much to talk about. Actually funny we had we thought we would have nothing to talk about this episode but here we are talking about Thomas Jishkas and Brian Boyles and Jimmy Carson. <laughs> you never know. You never know. And all and all the and all, all the Waynes we lost. We had so many Waynes. We lost a lot of good Waynes out there. <laughs> But guys, thank you again for joining us. Remember to always follow us on Twitter at the Bannerman Pod. 
Visit our website, bannermanpodcast.com. Listen to us, subscribe to us, stream us, however you want to do it, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and any and all podcatchers you use. We want to thank you guys, as always, for the support. It's always welcome, and please don't forget to leave us a review. Leave us some feedback on Twitter. Anything you can, remember, this is for you. This is for us. Ain't no money in this, boys and girls. Trust me. (laughs) And we just do it because we love it. So help us bring it to you. Help us continue this. Yep. Go Kings. 